On this edition of the Discover the Word podcast, join the group as they continue to work their way through Paul's New Testament letter to the Philippians. Bill Crowder, Elisa Morgan, Rasul Berry, and Daniel Ryan Day are taking one chapter per episode, and so over the course of four episodes, coming to a more holistic understanding of this important part of the New Testament. And this time, it is Daniel's turn to lead, and so he will take us through chapter three and we're going to call, at least at the outset here, the Beware of the Dogs chapter. Beware of the Dogs, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, which feels complicated and kind of clunky and weird. When I first read this verse, I was like, so basically all the signs in every yard should put, you know, Philippians <laughs> 3 <laughs> one as yeah, a reference. And, and in fact, in the ancient world, dogs were dangerous. They Absolutely. were wild. They were just nasty animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So pull your chair up to the table with the group and let's explore Philippians chapter 3 together on this edition of the Discover the Word podcast. And actually, there is a lot more memorable material in chapter 3 than just beware of the dogs. But uh, that's where this section begins, and so that's where we'll get started as we keep pushing ahead. In this study of Philippians, we've titled Finding Joy in the Journey, because the way Paul seems to circle back to the idea of rejoicing and finding joy, even in some of life's most difficult situations. And since this is part three of the series, and we've already covered chapters one and two, I probably should remind you that if there's any part of the study up to this point that you've missed, You'll want to make sure you go and listen to the previous parts, which you can find on our discovertheword.org website or wherever it is you prefer to get your podcast. That way you'll stay current and have the context of everything that we've already said fresh in your mind. But you know, even if you did hear everything, it still might be a good idea to take just a moment here and review and get our minds back into this. So uh, that's where Daniel wants to begin. As we continue in our series on Philippians, we'll be turning to chapter 3, but I thought it might be good to just be refreshed with what we've talked about so far. Mm. So, Rasul, you led us through chapter 1. Give us a a quick summary, maybe a sentence or so of what chapter 1 was about. So, obviously, chapter 1 begins uh, the letter, and we get the context of Paul being in a Roman prison and still encouraging and challenging the Philippians to find joy Mm. in the journey and joy in whatever situation that they find themselves in. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. And Bill, you led us through chapter two. That's kind of a summary of what was going on there. Well, I think the theme of chapter two, as we talked through it was servanthood Mm -hmm. and it opens with some statements about how the Philippians could serve one another. Then Paul made an extensive quotation from an ancient hymn about Jesus as the ultimate servant. He came in the absolute essence and nature of a servant. And then Paul closed chapter two by giving some human examples of servants himself, Mm. Timothy and Epaphroditus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then he kind of picks up in chapter three and a little bit at the beginning of chapter four with the opposite. So we got the mentors in Mm -hmm. chapter two of people to model after Mm chapter three and a little bit of chapter four are here some of the problems that are going on, some of the Mm anti-mentors. Which is kind of nice in a sense for us because that lets us know that even though the Philippians, it was obviously a strong church, Paul had started it, 
there were good people there that he cared about and loved. It was by no means a perfect church. Uh, so yes. in our day, when we have very imperfect churches as well, it makes it a little more relatable. Yeah. And speaking of imperfect churches, that was kind of a question I thought might help us as we begin to think through chapter three, maybe as a starting spot of what is something in the church that you're kind of concerned about right now that really weighs heavy on your heart? Well, you know, I could speak uh, being a pastor in, in New York and I love my congregation. Shout out to Bridge Church in Brooklyn. But one of the realities of just living in such a city where time is so limited is making sure that we find ways to do spiritual formation and really encouraging mm-hmm. people to not just work, which New York is a city that never sleeps, that mm-hmm. people work mm-hmm. more hours than any other city in the country, but to also find time to rest in Christ and mm-hmm. to have your identity be more formed by who you are in Christ versus your job. So yeah. that's just always something that I'm that's thinking good. about. And if I can pop up just to the larger church in terms of the entire body of believers, One of the issues that really breaks my heart is our tendency to judge each other Mm -hmm. and evaluate each other and condemn each other. And then I look at my own heart and I think, oh, I do it too. (laughs) So that's really troubling to me. And it's part of our human nature. It's part of our evaluating ourselves and comparing to someone else and wanting to come out on top. And I just don't think God has much room for that. Yeah. Yeah. For Mm -hmm. me, I think we have lost something of a holistic view of worship. I mean, we've kind of gotten to a place in the church, Mm. uh, at least here in the West, where the worship is the music part. Mm. And that's the worship. Mm -hmm. Well, no, that's just almost the preparation for the worship. You Mm. know, every part of a worship service is supposed to be worship. And the worship is supposed to extend into every day of our lives yeah. beyond that yeah. worship mm-hmm. service. So uh, I'm, I kind of mm. am a little concerned that we've lost touch with how intrinsic worship is supposed mm-hmm. to be as a part of our living. Mm. Yeah, for sure. So this week, as we continue in Philippians, we're going to hear Paul talk about something he's super concerned about in the church. And it's specifically tied to the churches in Philippi or around Philippi, but at the same time, it's also something he writes about in almost all of his letters because it's kind of a bigger church concern across Mm -hmm. the board as well. To start, let's jump right in at just the beginning of chapter three. Elisa, would you read the first three verses for us of chapter three? You bet. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is not troublesome to me. And for you, It's a safeguard. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evildoers. Beware of those who mutilate the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So the first thing that I wanted to point out in verse 1 is he says, Rejoice in the Lord. But I have a note in my Bible that that word rejoice could also be translated farewell. And we mentioned in one of the earlier series about how Paul's in prison and there are some hints throughout the book that he doesn't know for sure he's going to get out. This might be the end of his life. He has a lot of kind of terminal language, like to live as Christ, to die as gain, etc. Yep. And so this is one of the pieces that some people point to and say, maybe he meant farewell there. Like Mm -hmm. this might be my last letter that I write. And 
considering that he's imprisoned and writing a lot about the hope of the resurrection in particular and how he hopes he also <laughs> experiences the resurrection, there's a very real potential that he sees you know, he might die. If it could be farewell, as you say, if it is rejoice, then that kind of picks up on that thread that Rasul got us started on in chapter one. And he says a very similar thing in chapter two, verse 18. And he just keeps moving mm-hmm. the, the goal line further uh, on reaching for that joy and rejoicing. Is there a relationship between the context of farewell and rejoice in the way that he's using it, or are they just two completely different options for the same word? Yeah, it's kind of just an interpretation decision by translators of, wow, these are very similar. Some manuscripts say this, some manuscripts say that, and so they're making a a decision based on what they see. Another interesting line there is, writing the same things is not a burden and is a safeguard. And that reminded me of Haddon's quote over and over again about repetition is the key to learning. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. it seems like Paul has no concerns with writing the same things over and over again. And how how might it be a safeguard to them that he's writing the same things over and over again? I love it. It's like I picture like a little fence Mm -hmm. that's a boundary around their thinking or their actions or, you know, just a reminder of boundaries. You know, Mm -hmm. we need to have boundaries in our lives together. Yeah. Yeah, I think about um, the things that are most important we do repetitiously mm-hmm. because we all know about the famous telephone, you know, mm-hmm. game where yeah. you say something and then it passes on and it changes yeah, right. over time. <laughs> well, that's because they only you only get the chance to say it once. Mm-hmm. When you say it multiple times, mm-hmm. I'm you know I'm sure that that reinforces the clarity of mm-hmm. what was said the mm-hmm. first time. Yeah, absolutely. I also think about the fact that it's kind of confirming to hear the same thing over and over again because it shows that the idea is not changing. The last thing you want to hear from your spiritual mentor or leader is this and then that, right? right? And then it's like, well, well, which one's true? And so there's there's kind of a safeguard in that. sometimes we can't hear it the first or the second time. You know, it might be the third time that we're actually slipping down into that pothole that we go, Mm -hmm. there you go. Now I relate to that. Yeah, absolutely. And then he gets to this really interesting phrase beware of the dogs, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, which feels complicated and kind of clunky and Mm -hmm. weird. A little bit judgy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, is there a bunch of dogs running around and they're literally scared of... When I first read this verse, I was like, so basically all the signs in every yard should put, you know, Philippians. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) As a reference. And and in fact, even though I think you're going to help us understand that he's kind of speaking metaphorically Mm -hmm. here. In the ancient world, dogs were dangerous. They were wild. They were carry-ons. They they carried disease. In fact, street dogs in the ancient world were kind of like rats. They were just nasty animals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so because it's kind of such an awkward idea, and there's actually quite a bit that we could discuss about it, I think what we'll do is we'll save that for our next conversation. So I'm sorry for those who are all excited to hear about the dogs, but now you're going to have to wait just a little (laughs) bit longer. So in other words, we need to let sleeping dogs lie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we'll pick up on this in our next conversation. So Elisa, to close, would you just read Philippians 3 verses 1 through 3 for this first one? Okay. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is not troublesome to me. And for you, it is a safeguard. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of those who mutilate the flesh. 
For it is we who are the circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Mm, Sounds like there's a lot to unpack next time. Dogs. Mm-hmm. When we think of dogs, what do you think of? Man's best friend. Okay. I have a mixed relationship with dogs oh. because yeah. growing up, we never had one, but my grandma lived next door to this um, auto shop that had Rottweilers and Doberman Pinschers yeah, right. as guard dogs. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they would jump over the fence mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. chase us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was frightening and so Mm -hmm. so there's that but then you know obviously there's cute puppies and dogs Mm -hmm. but then it's like i like to pet them but then when they start licking my face i'm like wait a minute this is Mm -hmm. this was a bit further than i was willing to go yes Mm -hmm. so it's kind of a combination of the love and also distance (laughs) i'd say a mixed relationship is a good way to describe it we've had dogs and for most of it, I've just been annoyed by them. Oh. Right? I'm like, I, I don't want to take care of this other creature. I I've got not kids. I'm sure you guys need to have this conversation. You're yeah. all incredibly biased. But, but with that said, the yes. other day I was talking to a neighbor okay. and we were talking about Michigan and how lakes freeze and stuff like that. And he told me a story of when he was little, he went out on the ice without telling his mom or whatever, fell yep. through the ice. Yep. And the German Shepherd went out and grabbed him and pulled him out of wow. the water. Yeah. Yeah. And so that story is one of those where it's mm-hmm. like, okay, mm-hmm. no, that was a big deal. But then I got chased by a dog yeah. one time when I was running and it was not a friendly dog. I ran faster, <laughs> <laughs> increased my time. Yeah. But so anyway, so I have a very mixed relationship with dogs as well. And the reason I wanted to start there is because Paul, as we talked about in our last conversation, has this phrase, beware of the dogs. And just like with a lot of scripture, oftentimes we fill in immediately our context of what we think dogs would be. Mm -hmm. And that's probably not helpful in this case, especially the idea of dogs being man's best friend Mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. Although there probably were shepherds where dogs were very close to them and friendly and protected the sheep and all of that in, in ancient Near East. But dog kind of has a mixed reputation, to say the least, Mm. in that context. And so that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. To set that up, let's be reminded of what Paul says. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Rasul, would you read that for us? Sure. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is not troublesome to me, and for you it is a safeguard. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of those who mutilate the flesh, for it is We who are the circumcision, who worship in the spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So first of all, the word beware sets this up a little differently. And who would have thought all those sign companies making beware of the dog (laughs) were actually quoting scripture. (laughs) But we have a, a series of bewares here. What are the three bewares? Yeah, beware of the dogs, of the evil workers. And the last one is... The mutilators of the flesh. Yeah, my, my scripture says the false circumcision, hmm. uh, which 
reminds me of our conversations on Galatians Mm -hmm. and the Judaizers who were telling Gentile believers that they had to be circumcised in order to really be saved. Adding in stuff from the law. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah. and we can talk about that in just a second because I want to first focus on the dogs, um, but I think it'll be important to pull on that that thread as well. So the idea of dogs actually is a theme that shows up throughout the whole Bible, shows up in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Some examples of that are... In the Old Testament, dogs often refers to people who exhibit unwise behavior of how God designed things to work. So they're like kind of living in the opposite of the way God designed things Mm -hmm. to work. And often they were people who couldn't distinguish good from bad, were described as dogs. Dogs also ate unclean meat. So Exodus 22, 31. In fact, let's just read that one. Uh, If somebody will look it up for us real quick. 2231, all right? And you shall be holy men to me, therefore you shall not eat any flesh torn to pieces in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. Mm, Throw it to the dogs. Mm. So they're kind of associated with unclean meat, right? Which, that's a theme in the Bible. (laughs) Um, And then dogs were also something that Isaiah used to refer to Israel's unfaithful Mm. leaders. In fact, Elisa, could you look up Isaiah 56, verse 10 through the beginning of 11. Sure, sure. Israel's watchmen are blind. They lack all knowledge. They are all mute dogs. They cannot bark. They lie down and dream. They love to sleep. They are dogs with mighty appetites. They've never had enough. Hmm. What kind of jumps out to you in that passage? <laughs> that's not a real pretty picture of spiritual <laughs> leaders. I mean, that obvious, that's pretty obvious, but it's a very, very Graphic. derogatory mm-hmm. painting mm-hmm. word picture of of the spiritual leaders of Israel. Yeah. First of all, they can't do what they're made to do. They can't bark, right? Yeah. And one of the roles that dogs had was of protection and warning. So they can't do the thing that they're they supposed to do. They sleep all the time. Because they're asleep. Yeah. yeah. And they eat everything. They're never satisfied. So yeah. it's, it feels they're like, like consuming they're consuming yeah, and it's all needs. about them. Yeah. And yeah, they, they're asleep maybe to the truth in this context. Another example comes from Proverbs 26.11. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Yeah. So how might that help us in this context? It kind of makes me disgusted. <laughs> is what yeah. It is. yeah. I mean, you know, I think the repetition of folly actually mm-hmm. kind of parallels the repetition of Paul's warning. Yeah. Right? He says, it's not troublesome for me to say the same things to you. Yep. And it also seems to indicate that there's a tendency for us to be warned again to avoid folly. Mm -hmm. One last thing I wanted to point Mm -hmm. out is that that's one of two times that the word dog appears in Proverbs 26. Uh, The second one uh, is a few verses later in verse 17. It says, like one who grabs a stray dog by the ears is someone who rushes into a quarrel, not their own. Ooh, dangerous. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. and and I think (laughs) that phrase stray dog, I think is, was also helpful for me to understand some of the difference between our connotation of dog when we think pet domesticated Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. versus the primary context of dog that they're talking about here, which are essentially, you know, wild or feral, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. animals that have no real training in that Mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What happens when you grab one of them by the ears? Yeah. You're getting bit. No (laughs) kidding. Maybe (laughs) killed. That bite might, yeah, you might Mm -hmm. die. Mm -hmm. And if not, you're going to maybe get a disease or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a really Mm -hmm. serious situation. And it's a really foolish thing to do. Yeah. (laughs) 
And so what I hear in these is like a dog that returns to its vomit, a fool reverts to its folly. Paul's writing again about circumcision. Um, and so it almost, I almost wonder if that's happening here as well. Uh, we also have some New Testament examples mm-hmm. of references to dogs. What are some of those? Well, the one that comes to my mind is Matthew 15 with Jesus and the Canaanite woman mm-hmm. who has the demon-possessed daughter. And she asks Jesus to heal her daughter and deliver her from the demon. And Jesus says in words that are just shocking, he says, it's not right to take the children's food, speaking of Israel, and give it to dogs, speaking of Gentiles. And she responds, yes, I agree. I accept that. But even the crumbs that fall from the table, the dogs are allowed to eat off the floor. All I'm asking for is a crumb, you know, and Jesus says, because of your faith, it'll be done for you. Uh, It ends up being a tremendous picture of this woman's faith and desperation. And God's inclusive love. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I'm thinking about a horrible illustration in Revelation. It's talking about the end times, of course, dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and make it a lie. You know, just that dogs are Mm -hmm. included with such despicable beings. Yeah. Yeah. And then in 2 Peter chapter 2, he actually references in verse 22, the verse that we read earlier about Proverbs 26, when he says, what the true proverb says has happened to them, the dog returns to his own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. And in that context, he's talking about people who have strayed away from you know, walking in the truth and the light of the gospel, going back to an old lifestyle that is very much counter to that. Yeah. So a lot of helpful context. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, Paul's words are like, oh, okay, maybe there's more going on here than just a random reference to Mm -hmm. something we don't understand. And it also helps us to understand, as you reminded us, Rasul, that he's writing this to safeguard them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And by using this very vivid imagery that would have resonated with his first century audience, there's something to be warned about. Can we even throw in the reference from John 10 about the sheep and how the wolf Mm -hmm. wants to break into the pen? You know, yeah, yeah, and the sheep won't listen to a stranger's voice. They'll follow their own shepherd's voice. I hear this protective pleading. Yeah. And so we have beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers. We're not going to spend time talking about that one because I think after we talk about the next one and after talking about dogs it kind of makes sense okay he's repeating this idea that these are the ones working against what's best for the church as evil workers but then he he has this one beware of those who mutilate the flesh i think in some ways paul might be just offering some shock value here because that's a very literal translation of mutilate the flesh Mm -hmm. it also could be a reference to the fact that Mm. one of the ancient practices of worship in pagan shrines was literal self-mutilation mm-hmm. as a part of worship. And we have an example in the Old Testament of that happening. What's a good example Mount of that? Carmel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When Baal doesn't respond to the Baal prophets to send fire, they start cutting themselves and, oh, Baal, hear us, oh, Baal, hear yeah. us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like this desperation at the end of like, yeah. we haven't been able to get his attention. Maybe by harming ourselves, mm-hmm. we'll get mm-hmm. his attention. And so there is a very real sense in which self-mutilation is a part of worship in some of these cultures. And so maybe Paul is in a shocking way saying those who still think circumcision is the way to God's heart are 
just like those who self-mutilate themselves mm-hmm. trying to get the attention of the gods. And I'm wondering, too, if there is a corollary in the metaphor between the idea of beware of dogs, right, mm-hmm. and mutilating the flesh. Because, you know, Absolutely, one of the things yeah. that's danger if you approach a stray dog or a stray dog approaches mm-hmm. you is that it's mm-hmm. going to mutilate your mm-hmm. flesh, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if he's making that correlation mm-hmm. uh, with you know, this act of... um, Don't pick up a weapon. Don't pick up something that will harm you that way. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so Paul has a deep concern for this church, and it's something we'll see show up throughout the rest of this chapter into chapter four. Um, He's concerned of these dogs, these evil workers, those who mutilate the flesh, those who who are misleading the church and, and taking them to a place that Paul feels is not only unhealthy, but is actually pulling them away from God. And so let's kind of take that tension and those questions with us as we look through the rest of this chapter. Yeah, Paul had an interest in protecting this Philippian church from those dogs those who would pervert the message of the gospel. And uh, this is a tension and important warning for us to be on the lookout for evildoers who may want to mislead the church today as well. But, you know, there's a tenderness that we'll see in how Paul does this that I think will be an important aspect for us to consider. So lots yet to cover in our focus on Philippians chapter 3. Well, one of the more awkward beginnings to a segment... It's coming up after this short break. Well, as we study the Bible together, you probably have questions that crop up from time to time, don't you? Yeah, we all do. And looking for answers, well, that's kind of what Bible engagement is. And there's a helpful reference guide that I think you'll want to add to your Bible study library titled Adventuring Through the Bible by pastor and author Ray Stedman. When you have questions about Scripture... This book provides the relevant charts and maps and timelines and images and historical background and commentary to explain how it all fits together. It's kind of a one-stop guide, really, that will be a help to you as you explore the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. To purchase a copy for your home, go to OurDailyBreadPublishing.org and search for Adventuring Through the Bible. Adventuring Through the Bible by Ray Stedman, available at OurDailyBreadPublishing.org. All right, so putting together a resume, providing a bio for a website. There's an art to doing those kind of things, isn't there? You don't want it to come across as a brag fest. You don't want to sound arrogant or egotistical or self-important. But you do need to be honest and share things about yourself that are true and might be important for people to know. But it is so easy to get this wrong, and uh, most people can sniff out even a humble brag when they hear one. Well, this is the kind of thing that we run into in verses 4 through 9 of Philippians chapter 3, where Paul writes out a few bio-type sentences in which he lists out his pretty impressive spiritual pedigree. But you know, when someone does this, especially about themselves, all sorts of humble brag or straight-out brag red flags pop up. And so Daniel has devised an exercise that he warns is going to be awkward but will help us in this section of Philippians chapter 3. I think this will be fun, but it's also going to be a little uncomfortable. Oh, gee. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) And we'll probably feel that it's a little wrong. Uh, What we're going to do is we're going to do something that it feels like Paul is doing, 
in this letter. I I don't think he's doing this quite the same way, but we're going to boast in all of the things that make us feel like God should be pleased with us and love us more. Okay. And I'm going to go first Mm because this is really, I mean, it'll be uncomfortable. It's going to sound wrong, Mm -hmm. but just, just do this with me. Okay. I was born in a Christian home and said the sinner's prayer when I was five years old. I was baptized by my dad shortly thereafter. I memorized a ton of verses in Awana. (laughs) I even used my Awana rewards to buy my mom a world's greatest mom mug. At 12, I said the sinner's prayer again at church camp, got baptized again, became a leader in the youth group, went on missions trips, led music, got a seminary degree. I work at a Christian ministry. I'm a pastor at church. Oh, yeah, and I can still remember a lot of my Awana verses. (laughs) (laughs) You are so spiritual. Thanks. All right, who's next? Ooh, this is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's humble bragging, and then there's this, right? Mm -hmm. Right. There's bragging, bragging. Okay. So... I came to Christ. I had a spiritual dynamic encounter being the first of my family to follow Jesus. Mm. At 17, as a teenager, Mm. I braved the dynamics of going to a secular, liberal college (laughs) and waved my Christian flag proudly and boldly Mm. in that space, became known as a leader, and then forsook all of the possibilities and potentials of oh, what it meant to go. have a Ivy League degree so that I could proclaim Jesus as a missionary, raising mm. support for 20 years, oh traveling God. wherever God would have me to go. This feels very uncomfortable. Uh-huh. <laughs> you can stop whenever you yeah, want. that's it's good. Fine. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Elisa. Oh, mercy. Okay. I began attending church as a young child when my single mom dropped us off at it. I actually was ordained as an elder in the church Mm. when I was 16 years old. And then I really gave my life to God. I moved across the country and enrolled in seminary where Mm. I knew no one. Mm. And I was one of the only women (laughs) in Mm. a degree that was made for men in those days. I graduated with honors Mm. after sitting under Dr. Haddon Robinson. (laughs) And I won the Bible reading award for how I approached scripture. I'm stopping. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Bill. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I was... Sprinkled as an infant. Oh, this is good. Yeah, there you go. And uh, went through catechism and confirmation at age twelve, and was sprinkled again mm-hmm. at age twelve. When I was in my late teens, we went to a revival service, and after he preached, the preacher gave an invitation, and no one came, so I did because oh. I felt <laughs> sorry for him. I wanted him to have somebody who responded, so I went forward. And then I got baptized. You got dunked. I got, yeah, I got, I've been everything but dry cleaned. Um, (laughs) I I got dunked. And, um, and then I went to Bible college and it was at Bible college that I came to Christ and was baptized yet again after that and studied in a pastoral major, pastored three churches, came to work at our daily bread ministries and have done some writing and as is clear from this very moment, a little bit of radio work. And uh, I'm well beyond my time stamp on this. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's good that we feel uncomfortable mm, in yeah, that, right? But the reason I thought that would be helpful 
as uncomfortable as it is, is because this next section, it kind of feels like Paul is doing that. Mm -hmm. So let's read that together. This is Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. And Bill, I'll have you read this. Okay. Even though I too have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. (laughs) Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Wow. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. So you hear that in there a little mm-hmm. bit, right? Well, you hear the transition. I mean, it's a great contrast. He's got yeah. all these reasons, and then he says they're rubbish. Yeah, yeah. they don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. And let's so let's follow his flow. Let's mm-hmm. first, what does he mean by confidence in the flesh? I, I think he's using the term flesh, not in the Romans talking about the sarks, the sinful mm-hmm. part. He's literally meaning it's like physical body, right? Yeah, with like, his own, yeah, in his own energy and effort. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So in a very literal sense, confidence in the flesh, he starts off with circumcised on the eighth day, mm-hmm. right? So like you, like you mentioned, very much his body. Yes. Right? And especially after just having talked to them about the danger of false circumcision. Mutilation right? Now of the he flesh. talks about mm-hmm. if legit circumcision doesn't count, right. how much worse is false circumcision? Right. And I'm guessing, too, the eighth day was where the law yeah, required exactly. for the males to be circumcised. So he's like, I did it right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it didn't happen later. Right. It, my parents did it right at the right time you were supposed to. So from the very beginning, I was in this family, this tribe called Israel. Right. And then he goes on to talk about a few of those pieces. So a member of the people of Israel, which we talk about throughout the Old Testament, is God's chosen people, Mm -hmm. but chosen for the purpose of being a light to all Mm -hmm. nations. And then of the tribe of Benjamin, why would that be a significant tribe? Who else was It was actually one of the smallest (laughs) tribes, but Mm -hmm. the first king of Israel was of the tribe of Benjamin, Saul. Yep. King Saul wasn't the only military leader that came from Benjamin. There was Ehud and Deborah as well. Mm. All people that were pretty feisty people that had not only position in Israel, but strength and led to deliverance for Israel. Even who was Benjamin? Benjamin was the youngest son of Jacob and the second son of his favorite wife. Mm-hmm. And, it, and notice how the circles keep getting kind of smaller. So there was a lot of people circumcised on the eighth day. Mm-hmm. Smaller group, those who are circumcised and part of the people of Israel. Smaller group, a tribe of Benjamin. Smaller group, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. And then as to the law, Pharisee. So what were some of the characteristics of Pharisees in particular? Well, they're very proud of their obedience to the law and their yep. fulfilling of it. And that's really how they, you just did it, kind of ranked their yeah, yeah. value above others. Yeah. And specifically, Pharisees were known for very carefully keeping cleanliness laws, food laws, washing mm-hmm. of hands, tithing, law. those mm-hmm. types of things. And then he goes to zeal. How zealous 
does Paul say he was right here? Well, he was persecuted the whole church. I mean, yeah. he's the one who's watching Stephen's stoning and not mm-hmm. doing a thing. So, and that's, and he prided himself on keeping the faith pure. And he was so zealous that he describes how righteous he was under the law. What word does he use there? Mm. Blameless. Blameless. Now, the interesting thing is he may be making a contrast between the value of being blameless under laws, but then the the heart and the spirit and what makes us righteous before God. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, before we like go on from this, I think it's important for us to pause and think about how we are similar. And what I mean by that is as facetious as we were kind of being at the beginning of boasting and all of those things, how often do we actually look at what's happened in our lives and think that we're closer to God in some way. Uh, or that we're or doing pretty doing good. Right yeah. yeah. And, you know, even though we know better than to say, I've earned my way into God's favor, we evaluate so much of our life as, I'm not as bad as them or as them, yeah. or we see things on the news and think, well, I didn't yep. do that. And yeah. yeah. And whenever we feel that pressure that we need to please God to make him happy, or we need to do something so he'll love us or notice us or whatever, we fall into the same trap that Paul is describing here. And the good news is Paul doesn't land there. And no, I'm not going to make you in our next conversation go around and talk about all the terrible things (laughs) that that are true of you. I got a lot of them. But where Paul transitions from here is here's all these amazing things that in my old estimation would have made me pleasing to God. And yet by coming to know who Christ really is, I can look back at all that and consider it loss because of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. And that's what we'll talk about in our next conversation. Elisa, would you read Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11 for us? Sure. Yet whatever gains I had, these I've come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Hmm. So whatever gains I had, I have come to regard these as loss. What were some of those gains that Paul was talking about? Well, his status within the Jewish community was long gone because now he was public enemy number one Mm -hmm. to the Jewish leadership which is proven out in the fact that they try a number of times to kill him. They want him arrested and beaten, and he has mm-hmm. to appeal to Caesar to get out of the mess. Yeah, yeah. so I think his um, reputation as a law keeper. Yep. And I think the zeal thing that we talked about is important because it's one thing to just be personally detailed and particular about observing the law. It's another thing to be known for like, mm-hmm. you're about that life. Like yep. he didn't just get dispatched to Damascus. He asked to go, like, mm-hmm. let me go arrest some people. It was like, his yep. idea. That was, mm-hmm. it was right. It was his idea. And so 
that was something that was a point of pride because they're like, yo, he's the dude right there. He's going mm-hmm. after them. And now he's like, uh, no, I don't. I, I'm, now he has to go to the very community and be a part of mm-hmm. that he formerly persecuted. And, you know, d- the deep, deep feeling, because we were talking in our last conversation about blameless. You know, He called himself mm-hmm. blameless. And we all go, whoa. But I, I'm thinking about other places where he writes of his own sin, his experience mm-hmm. with sin, like in Romans 6 and 7 and stuff. And you go, that's huge. Yeah. You know, he, he went from being blameless, seeing himself as blameless, you know, having it all that to I'm the worst. You know, yeah. I, I fight the very thing I don't want to do. I do. Why do I do it? You know, and thanks be to God that I have an option now not to sin, but I still sin. Mm-hmm. And in other places, he makes statements like, I am the least of the apostles mm-hmm. and I am less than the least of all the saints. I mean, that's not poor self-image talking. That's a realistic self-view. And, and you think about how radically, we were talking about reputation, Russell, you know, his self-image must have changed. Yeah. Just radically. If, mm-hmm. if you've known people who were really pretty confident in who they were and then have a brokenness mm-hmm. experience and then they come to a, a refilling with God, they're very different. And, yeah. and that's the, the sense you get with Paul. You wonder if he was somewhat broken by those very first words Jesus spoke to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting mm-hmm. me? Mm-hmm. Why, why are you persecuting me? This mm-hmm. is Jesus. You know. That's good. Though. Oh, man. Yeah, so a lot of the gains that we've already described are relational gains. Or in our last conversation, we talked a lot about all the status that Paul in particular had by being circumcised on the eighth day, a part of Israel, a Hebrew of Hebrews part of the tribe of Benjamin, the most zealous person, blameless under the law, which is an important qualification that he puts in that section, especially considering he's going to talk about righteousness in a second that's a little different. Mm -hmm. But all of those are the gains that he's kind of talking about that are in the background now. They're, They're behind him as he steps forward. And there's one thing in particular in this passage that he describes as of more value than all of those gains in the past. And what is that? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And the righteousness that comes from God through faith, which is so different from the blamelessness that came from the law. Yep. So let's first pull on the knowing, and then Elisa remind us to pull on the blameless as it relates to the righteousness. Okay. So verse eight, more than that, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. To me, that word surpassing jumps out there. Hmm. It's not that those things in the past of Paul's life were not valuable, Hmm. but there's like he's come into a new value, (laughs) right? Like knowing Christ, being in this relationship with Jesus has that much more value than anything in his Hmm. past. Um, So I think that's the first thing that, that jumps out to me there. So much so that he says, I consider them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What does that mean to gain Christ? I think, um, one, he's talking about this comparison and contrast. Mm -hmm. That in the comparison of knowing Christ, of gaining Christ, everything else is trash. Mm -hmm. Not that he's saying it's. It is trash, like, but it's like in comparison mm-hmm. and gaining Christ, I think in that sense is more than just, it's not salvation, but you know, he's, he explains in verse 10, 
fellowship, participation yeah, in his suffering, go. you know, experiencing being like him is yep. gaining Christ. Mm. And what about in verse nine? He kind of gives us a hint as well in verse nine of what it means to gain Christ. To be found to in be him. found in him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, is, what does that mean? I picture God seeing us through Jesus. You know, it's like Jesus' mm-hmm. acts for us mm-hmm. make us righteous and we're found in him. That's how yeah. we find our true being. Yeah, mm-hmm. I kind of see it slightly differently but similar in that before his identity was all these other things. Now his identity okay. is in him. Mm-hmm. It's a whole different mm-hmm. ball game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I agree, but I also think, Elisa, that relates to what you were pulling on, which yeah. is that idea of righteousness. Yeah. And again, how is it defined here? Well, righteousness it comes from God through mm-hmm. faith and uh, compared to the blamelessness that came by keeping the law perfectly. Yeah. I mean, what a stress to keep yeah. the law perfectly, even though he was super good at it. Yeah. And righteousness is one of those big theological words. Mm-hmm. What do we mean by the word righteousness? Well, when we're referring to God himself, righteousness means that God's right. He's mm-hmm. all the time right. He's never wrong. He does not have the capacity to be wrong. God never gets it wrong because he is right. Yes. He's the very definition of truth. Yeah. And of what is really real. And for us, when it talks about righteousness, it's not talking about that because we don't have any of that. (laughs) It's talking about it being in right relationship with the God who is right. And we have that right relationship with God. Why? Because of the cross. Because of what Christ mm-hmm. has done. Mm-hmm. And so that I think all of that's tied to this idea of gaining Christ. Being um, in him. Mm-hmm. Being in him. There's two different words for knowing here. The first one where he says the surpassing value of knowing Christ is kind of more of a head knowledge knowing. The second one in verse 10 is to know Christ and share in his suffering. That knowing is a very intimate husband and wife kind of knowing. And so we see also this progression in this passage of knowing about Christ and how that impacts us and then knowing Christ in Mm -hmm. such a deep way. Um, And he describes that as sharing in his suffering. And then the hope that he nods to here is sharing in the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of this intimacy, this knowing that we see here. Can, Can I ask something? We've talked about the right standing with God and right relationship with Christ, but it also seems like in, the, in verse 10, there's an aspect of righteousness that reveals itself in our character and in our, in what we, in our actions. It's not just an internal disposition. It's mm-hmm. also a way of living. Is, is that something that you see there? And why does it seem like he's expressing some type of aspiration about participating in Christ's suffering? Yeah, and we really see that in the next section of mm-hmm. Philippians. Rasul, would you read verses 12 through 16 of chapter three, and specifically listen for especially the first part of your question, which was, does this have some kind of implications for the way we live? Sure. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. It's interesting. You know, your point is a good one, Rasul, because... 
if we are in right standing with God, that should impact our behavior. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of like righteousness gets misunderstood because we go for the effect rather than the cause. Mm-hmm. And it's like holiness. Holiness is not spiritual purity. Holiness mm-hmm. means to be set apart mm-hmm. for God's use. But if we are set apart for God's use, there should be some spiritual purity that flows out of that. So we need to see the cause and the effect Mm -hmm. rather than going just for the effect, because that's where kind of legalism can get a foothold Mm -hmm. and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what I like about the way this conversation is going is, I don't know about you, but oftentimes I've seen this passage kind of separated from what we already talked about. Right. Um, And that's probably because a lot of Bibles have a heading there, pressing toward the goal. But that interrupts the flow of what Paul's trying to tell us, right? Mm -hmm. He's already told us all the things that he's running away from toward Christ. And that was in the section that we read at the beginning Mm -hmm. of this conversation. So instead of this being like, you know, for a cross-country meet, you know, (laughs) we're going to run the race. You know, this is much more about all of this context that Paul has already given us, whether that's forgetting all his credentials, forgetting all the status that's lost or whatever, And then he goes on to describe a little bit of what it means to share in Christ's suffering. So in this context here, what is the goal or the prize that he's excited about? Let's see. He says, I press on to take hold of Uh that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And that prize is Jesus. Yeah. This heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus, this knowing Christ. And so sharing in Christ's sufferings, which kind of leads toward death, Mm. leads to the other side of that, which is the resurrection that we share as a part of Yeah, who I think Christ just is. to really sit there with it, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Yep. It is his death and resurrection. I want to take hold of that, which seems impossible, but it, it's like you have to passively go into death mm-hmm. that way. And it seems, like when we say it seems impossible, mm-hmm. I also see a setup of a contrast mm-hmm. between the confidence and the boasting of what he was able to do in his flesh. Yeah. Right. I've accomplished these things versus this aspect where it's aspirational and it's, it's out Mm -hmm. there somewhere and I'm Uh pressing and I'm Mm -hmm. holding and there's all these caveats. And it's kind of like, that's ironically, like you said, so many people use this to, present themselves as I've obtained the prize when his actual point is the opposite that (laughs) I'm pressing and I'm striving but ultimately I'm doing all of this in response to in reaction to as the effect of the cause which is Christ actually died and resurrected and that changed everything and it also shows I think uh, again in the context that you're reminding us of Daniel it also shows that in religion in his previous experience in religion, he had a lot of self-satisfaction. He had a lot of, look what I've done. Mm -hmm. And now he says, the only reason it's done is because he's laid hold of me. Mm -hmm. The only reason I've done is because of what he is doing. Because he met him on the road and said, why are you persecuting me? That's, wow. Yeah. So it's not wrong at all to use a passage like this as inspiration for a cross-country meet, (laughs) right? Like (laughs) pressing on toward the goal to win the prize. But there's something so much more Mm. that Paul is offering here than winning a foot race. He's literally talking about death to life. And I worded it that way carefully because with Jesus, that's what Jesus did. He flipped that. Mm -hmm. Instead of life to death, it -hmm. becomes death to life, which Mm -hmm. is what Paul is talking about, that heavenly call of God, sharing in suffering so that we can share in the resurrection. If you think about just that contrast, all the earthly prizes that Paul talked about that he had in his background, 
they fall apart, they disintegrate. Eventually, mm-hmm. they let us down. They may offer momentary glory, maybe even some excitement, but eventually they fade. But the ultimate price that Paul is straining forward and inviting those who follow him to strain toward is priceless and it's eternal. And that is this heavenly call of God that he describes. And in our final conversation, Paul's going to kind of describe even more so what that new life in Christ looks like. Another great part of this conversation with Discover the Word group members, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry, talking about finding joy in the journey as we work our way through, chapter by chapter, Paul's letter to the Philippians. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries, which is a global Bible engagement ministry with resources that reach into over 150 different countries around the world. Our headquarters are in Grand Rapids, Michigan, but we have offices spread out in 36 different countries. Our Daily Bread Ministries helps millions of people connect with God each day. In fact, for 85 years now, our purpose has remained the same, to tell the story of Jesus and reach people with the life-changing wisdom of the Bible. And so if you'd like to partner with us financially in this important mission, I invite you to go to our discovertheword.org website and click on the Donate button. All right, now let's wrap up our study of Philippians chapter 3 here on this edition of the Discover the Word podcast. Let's just keep flowing right through Philippians 3 as we prepare for Elisa Elitas in Philippians 4. So Philippians 3, verses 15 through 21. Bill, will you get us started on that? And then whenever you pause, someone else jump in. Let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind. And if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I've often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears. Their end is destruction. Their God is the belly and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation so that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. So first, does it feel a little weird for mm. Paul to say, let those of us who are mature yes. and then imitate me. <laughs> yes. There seems to be like a couple of us versus them things going on. Mm-hmm. Us who are mature versus those who aren't. And then us who have citizenship in heaven versus those who don't. It kind of mm-hmm. feels like a couple yeah. of those things are in play. Mm-hmm. It also can feel a little bit like, wait, is this going back to the boasting thing that we were right. talking about earlier? <laughs> it yeah. does. It really does. Yeah. But at the same time, where we started this series talking about beware of the dogs, Mm -hmm. there is a very real reality that Paul's trying to address here, a deep concern that he has. And it's those who, in this section, he says, live as enemies 
of the the cross cross of Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, Paul gives us a hint as to the emotional state that he's in in writing this. So is he angry? Is he frustrated? What what hint do we see that he's sorrowful because he says he tells even with tears. And and we're going to see as we go into chapter four in our next series that there are some very close relationships that are wounding his heart. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's how we all feel when there are people that we are in fellowship with or thought we were who begin to hurt each other. Yeah. And how does that shape the way we think of the tone in which he's writing mm-hmm. about the dogs, the evil workers, the... Well, it feels a little bit parental. Mm-hmm. Like you really long for your kids to make good choices. Yeah. You know, and, and I used to joke about how I would say, you know, here are the 19 things not to do. And it's like they take the list and they start checking them off one by one. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. And you're like, oh, no. And your heart is so sorrowed. And yet this is where people have the chance to go. It also jumps out to me here that he says those who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Mm-hmm. And that feels different than him saying these are enemies of the cross of Christ. And maybe I'm reading too much into that. But when he talks about beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of those who mutilate the flesh, beware of those who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I feel like there's a little bit of redemption opportunity there. When I read that phrase, who live as enemies of the cross of Christ, I wonder if he's having a little deja vu moment there himself. when he's mm-hmm. thinking about his Absolutely. own life before Christ. That's good. Mm-hmm. There's a tragedy that I think the beginning of Philippians 3, he relives. And I mean, thinking you're zealous and righteous and being on God's side. Yeah. And as you mentioned, Bill, and then to have the God who you're going your way to serve by arresting these people who you think are blaspheming God's name and to have that God appear to you and say, Mm -hmm. why are you persecuting me? Is a tragedy of epic proportions. And now he sees these folk who are enemies to the cross in part because they are giving another standard of salvation other than what Christ came to fulfill or because they're just living in a disregard for the holiness and the righteousness of God by obeying their flesh. In either way, they're thinking they're oftentimes pleasing God and doing it. And Mm -hmm. I think he sees in that something to be warning people about, but also something to lament. Isn't that sometimes the things that we get most angry and frustrated about in others are those things that remind us most of ourselves, Yep. especially in faith settings. Mm -hmm. And maybe I shouldn't say especially there, but definitely in faith settings. I think about it even more in a parental setting Mm -hmm. in a sense, because now that our kids are adults and stuff, every now and then I see and hear me in them in ways that is not attractive. And uh, that really bothers me because that shows where I fell down in trying to help them. And yet Paul says to be an imitator of him, and he is imperfect. But what I guess he's really encouraging and inviting is imitating his heart, you know, the desire that he has, the commitment he has, the the passion he has. Yeah, and he kind of describes some of the things that make them living as enemies. Yes. Um, Their end is destruction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, They've put their hope in the law. Fully as the thing that can make them blameless in the same way that Paul felt he was blameless in the past. But you know, just to pause there, isn't it surprising to think that law keeping in this sense is self destructive behavior? Yeah. You know, that kind of empty mm-hmm. obedience, that self righteousness, that's destructive behavior. Yeah. That's powerful. Yep. And then he talks about how God is their belly. Mm. Now, Paul's kind of already referenced the fact that he's talking to people that have a high value of circumcision, 
Um, and so perhaps he's also pulling on the thread of cleanliness laws here. Oh. He talked about himself being a Pharisee, which okay. Pharisees were very intense about cleanliness laws and eating the right mm-hmm. foods and those types of things. I think we need to keep in mind, too, that even though we know from Lydia and the women from the river that when the church at Philippi was founded, there was a Jewish component to it. But there's also a Gentile component yeah. to it. And yep. I've heard the their God is their belly, is their God is their appetites. Right. That what mm. drives them is what they are hungry for or want. Yeah, that's what I thought that in verse 18 in the beginning when he says, for many live as the enemies of the cross of Christ, because he's kind of going to even talking about the sense of hedonism that I thought he was expanding it beyond yeah. just the legalists, right? Because yeah. there's those who try to obtain their righteousness and their sense of satisfaction. Well, and that makes sense asceticism. as he goes into chapter four and is right. trying to correct behavior within the body of yeah. those who love Jesus. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting that for him to say whether it, you're being a legalistic religious zealot mm-hmm. or you're being mm-hmm. a person that's obtaining or pursuing hedonistic desires in the flesh, you're all in the same space of mm. your end is destruction mm-hmm. yep. and your God is the belly, even if it's through mm-hmm. <laughs> thinking what you shouldn't put in your belly because I'm clean or if it's through, I'm going to put everything in my belly. Yeah. And in other letters, like in Romans 16, Paul talks about serving our own appetites yeah. and he talks about how not only is that what people were eating, but sexual practices mm-hmm. and things like that, that mm-hmm. lead to destruction either way. Whatever Paul's talking about here is an overemphasis on what I do in this physical body. Um, And so there's that warning. Mm -hmm. And then he goes into this interesting phrase, but our citizenship is in heaven. Mm -hmm. Interesting idea going into citizenship. And it is from there that we are expecting a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we think of citizenship, what are some of the things that we think about? Paying taxes. Taxes. (laughs) Voting. Jury duty. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think about the benefits um, that come with that, like, you know, travel and using a passport, especially an American passport, which Mm -hmm. is the most powerful passport you can have. And, you know, I think about voting and Mm -hmm. the opportunity to be represented by an elected official. And when I think specifically about the conversation we had earlier in chapter one about the particular status of Philippi as a colony Mm -hmm. that they were very proud Mm -hmm. to be associated with their Roman identity, that his contrast is a real dig to say, Mm -hmm. actually, this nationalistic fervor you have about your identity as a Roman or wherever it is today ought to be submitted and subjected to citizenship in heaven. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. There's a bigger citizenship that Christians are called to be Mm -hmm. a part of than their political situation or right. their national citizenship. And, and I would just say, you know, even when he talks about those who are the enemies of the cross of Christ, that has to be seen against the backdrop of how he described the cross in chapter two and all that Jesus did in order to accomplish that. And if there are people in the church who are living as enemies of the cross of Christ, that's what they're against mm-hmm. is what Jesus did. Hmm. And so as I think about citizenship and as it relates here, I think about, you know, we think of citizenship often as like being a member of a national community. And then we have throughout the New Testament, Jesus redefining what that community looks like. And then here, Paul redefining what this community looks like, which is not connected to what nation you're a part of, but is connected to Christ being Lord 
It continues um, the work that Jesus did yep. on earth, that he's not bringing an earthly kingdom, but membership in a kingdom beyond an eternal kingdom. Yeah. When I think of citizenship, I think of having a stake in the politics of a nation or the actions of government. Throughout the Bible, God redefines what that looks like, and it's justice for who? <laughs> for the, the oppressed, the you oppressed. Know, for those who don't have justice. Mm -hmm. Defending the rights and the protections of the orphan, the widow, the stranger is very different from what Rome is concerned with at this point and what often many of our governments are concerned mm -hmm. with that we live in. When I think of citizenship, I think of the rights and privileges associated with the nation. But with this new kingdom, what are the rights and privileges that we are connected to through Christ? Mm. Well, we've been given the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. which is unbelievable that as citizens of the heavenly kingdom, the third person of the Godhead comes to live within us. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's unthinkable. Huge privilege. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. In this context, Paul also talks about the heavenly call of God, this gift to us of righteousness that comes not from us, but from God. And then, of course, there's responsibilities and restrictions that come with citizenship. And Jesus picks up on that when he says that, what does it look like to live in this new kingdom? It's to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul talks throughout all his letters about some of the restrictions that we live under, under the new covenant. So it's not just like, it's like do whatever you want kind of thing, but ultimately it comes down to our citizenship is tied to who we serve. Mm. And for Paul, he's looking at everything in the past and seeing that as nothing compared to the person that he is following now. The thing that I find to be a beautiful, complex paradox is that on the one end, if you go take the story from the beginning, you see God choose Abraham to be a nation, but then from the very beginning say, I'm going to use you, I'm gonna bless you to be a blessing to the nations. So I'm gonna create a distinct nation with its own distinct character, identity, laws, constitution. But the whole point of that nation is to blur the lines between who's not in the nation and who is mm -hmm. in the nation to make it accessible to invite all the nations to be blessed by this nation. And so going back even to when you know, the Pharisee asked, well, who is my neighbor, right? Wanting mm -hmm. to narrow mm -hmm. who that, that definition is. And so what did Jesus does? He tells a story about a Samaritan, someone who's outside the nation and say, you should love the neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's the kingdom that we are a part of. And that's why I wanted us to start with verse 15 mm -hmm. as we talked through this section. What does verse 15 say, Elisa? All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Yeah. What a process. We, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, we live in a space where to be Republican or to be Democrat or to be a part of this denomination or that denomination or whatever leads to division. Mm -hmm. And Paul starts this whole section talking about a new kind of citizenship where we have the same mind. And that becomes a really important idea because as we'll see in chapter four, he starts by talking about a really complicated, mm -hmm. divisive type of situation mm -hmm. that's happening that Elisa will mm. pick up with mm -hmm. um, in our next series. But I, I do think it's interesting, Daniel, I agree with everything you're saying, but I do think it's interesting that even though Paul extols his heavenly citizenship, he didn't revoke his Roman citizenship. Yeah. In fact, yeah. he leveraged that <laughs> when it was to his advantage. Yeah, and I think what I hear at the heart of what Paul's writing here 
especially in light of the context that you're offering there, is our citizenship in heaven becomes our primary membership. Mm -hmm. I agree. Any other citizenship is now secondary at best, which for Paul was his Roman citizenship that he attached to. So being a Republican or Democrat is way down on the list of importance compared to being a part of the heavenly kingdom where love of neighbor and love of God is most important. And I think that's the best way to summarize chapter three. that we wrap up part three of our study of Paul's New Testament letter to the Philippians. Chapter three, the beware of the dogs chapter. It had a lot for us to digest, didn't it? Daniel Ryan Day leading Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Rasul Berry through this part of our special Discover the Word podcast focusing on the book of Philippians. Now in the next episode, Elisa will be taking us through chapter four where we will find some familiar statements such as rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I have learned to be content. I mean, there's a lot of soundbite, memory verse worthy material that's in Philippians chapter four. And so don't miss the conclusion of our study of the entire book of Philippians called Finding Joy in the Journey. The next time, Elisa and Rasul and Bill and Daniel get together to discover the Word. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.